1: We're back live with more of Anthony Heron and Gabe Ramirez on 670 The Score in Odyssey Station.
2: All my friends, I'm a low rider. I ain't never talking
3: over that. <laughs> the low rider, I gotta keep an eye on you now. After that. <laughs> After early. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> Let's keep that out of here. I almost died earlier. Got worried about you. Shout out to Anthony here and my friend. Through,
2: Shout out my friend who cares about me. Didn't even look to the right. I'm dying. <laughs> didn't even look to her. I was like, damn, I thought we were boys. Hey man, what is
3: going on? <laughs> <laughs> Gabe over here fighting for his life. I didn't Literally.
2: even know it. <laughs> you know, when you hit a certain age, you start trying to play basketball for hours and you don't drink a ton of uh ton of water in between. You start catching G-I, cramps. <laughs> it's just terrible. This terrible.
3: I wish we were on Twitch <laughs> when that was going on.
2: I would have walked out of the room. <laughs> I would have I did all that right over there.
3: <laughs> I respect that you stayed and fought through the rest of the segment. I was trying to get you to leave the room. Yeah. I was back "Go Take a walk. Like, walk it off. My body hears, my body hears you mentioning something.
2: it, and it's, 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 starting, it's trying to, to act. It's flare back up. Like I don't want
3: to flare back up.
2: Got to do little breaths. <laughs> Gabe Ramirez, Anthony Herron.
3: Hey man, what is happening over here? Podcasting,
2: laughing, all these labored
3: breaths. Like, From
2: man, what, what is score, that? Scoring, huh? Score on the huh? <laughs> <Score laughs> studios, brought to you by your local Hyundai dealers. Uh, it was toast. It, was, it was, uh, <laughs> like I said, I'm glad my wife wasn't here. She'd have been like, "Are you having a heart attack?" That's my wife's go-to for anything. I'm like, "Oh man, my neck." she like, "Are you having a heart attack?" I know I'm older than you, babe, but you ain't got to do me like that whatever okay,
3: you ain't you gotta okay? do it. <laughs> you either ain't. I just got worried for a second man <laughs> cause I, the first one I heard I just ignored it for a minute I was like oh okay whatever he I cleared his throat or up. <laughs> look over oh. there Dude, he like, do, you hate, do you hate the bulls that much,
2: or is that an a, a, a actual pain you have in your, <laughs> the side of your stomach? You guys, you guys know, you know, you know when you like play ball, or you just and you get that little cramp. Like if you ran too, like you haven't ran in a year, and then all of a sudden you run and you get that little stomach thing uh-huh. that hurts on the side. and You're like, oh my god, it feels a like side ache. You got to kind of yeah, work through it. You got to tough it out. What just that is. Keep I think it's my lung connected to my rib, but I know it's not
3: that, but that's what it felt like. It's all that muscle. That, all that, that abdominal muscle is that that's really what that up is? in there. Yeah. Is that really what, that is? It's exactly what, what it, it is? That's exactly what it is. Heart attack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell yeah. Them, Chuck. Literally. Thanks, Chuck. <laughs> I thought I did. All right. So I'm glad you're still here, though. Saints. Right, I got real worried about you for about 90
2: seconds. I got bills to pay. Got to, got to be here. <laughs> I was here earlier today on B96, 10 to 3. I'm <laughs> here on her. 670 to
3: score. I was a No, it was Wait like this.
2: Huh? (laughs) Huh? (laughs) You didn't want to breathe too much? Because if I'd have had a whole (laughs) breath, then I really would have it really would have been a problem. I am so
3: (laughs) mad that I missed that. You missed (laughs) the whole thing, (laughs) man. It was during the Donnell Baper interview. Gabe stood up out of his chair. I read. I, I read. A we couple. got both mics off in here. I'm <laughs> trying to. Am I going to have to administer like some kind of medical support man. to Gabrielle over
2: there, man? What is happening? Thank God, I read that Navy SEAL training book, <laughs> and I know how to fight through the pain, baby. <laughs> You're supposed to think of the number five five one
3: five. Did you? I have no idea what. to yeah, five Navy, Navy SEALs.
2: Navy SEALs when they try to talk about how to. Uh, or, excuse me, FBI. Okay. Uh, what they teach their people uh, to. To not think about the pain, you're supposed to close your eyes and think of th- and say the numbers in your head: five, five, one, five, five, five. Repeat that.
3: Now, why specifically those numbers? I didn't read the whole article. <laughs> I just saw the numbers in the front and I and I did it. I, I prefer the quarter of blood technique <laughs> myself. That's what I do. What? I'm a karate man. I bleed on the inside. <laughs> <laughs> you ever remember that from no, Trade Places? That. <laughs> That's from Trading Places. Uh, we were talking about yeah, Eddie Murphy yeah, earlier. Yeah, yeah. So uh, there was some scene where he's in jail during uh, during Trading Places. I think coming? No, yeah, it was Trading Places early in the movie, and he was in jail, and he was talking about how he's a you know he's just trying to act hard yeah, in yeah. the prison so nobody would mess with him before they come and bail him out. And he was like, "I'm a karate man. I bleed on the inside." He was trying to make it sound <laughs> like he knew all these kung fu, <laughs> jujitsu moves or whatever. I gotta I gotta practice that technique. Also, yeah, yeah the court of blood.
2: All right, Gabriel Ramirez, Anthony Heron. I'm feeling better, and now we get a chance to talk about uh, Cubs GM Carter Hawkins. He was on with Mulligan Hall earlier today. And it's cool to get, like, you know, listen, it's one thing for us to talk about it. Mm-hmm. It's one thing for the, the the manager to give you fluff, for the, for the players to, you know, read off their PR handbook. That's another thing when, when the GM comes on because because that's the decision maker. That's the guy that really has... You know the 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 bearings underneath him that to to be able to say what he wants, and you can really get a snapshot of what this Cubs team can be. And so the first thing he talked about, which I thought was extremely interesting, because it's you know again, these GMs are going to try to look at these new rules and adjust accordingly. And Carter Hawkins talked about uh, what the new rules are going to do for the game.
4: It's something we've we've thought a lot about. You know, when you think about you know these predictive models that all thirty teams have right now, they're only as good as the environment that they were built in. And if that environment changes, then those predictions aren't quite as good, obviously. And so our environment is certainly changing from how our pitchers have to approach every bat, how our hitters have to approach every bat. And then obviously the defensive shift is a significant one where, you know, probably the value of a strikeout goes up and the value of a ground ball goes down. And so we're going to constantly have to think about those things as we think about, you know, predicting performance, you know, obviously describing performance over the course of the year will be easy, but predicting it will continue to be hard and just another opportunity for us hopefully to be better than everybody else.
3: You love the fact that that they're at least thinking along those lines, you know, one of the issues with the Cubs in, in recent seasons where the talent you know got diminished a bit. Was, all right, where where can you play positional guys? You have some versatility there, but who's really key looking like they can be one of your players of the future at certain spots? But now that you got some of these rule changes in here, versatility isn't a bad thing, especially if it's versatility of guys who can play a variety of defensive positions and, and potentially play it at a high level. So during spring training, there's an opportunity for the Cubs to figure out how high level are we actually going to pitch at? You know, our, our pitchers on the mound. Are they going to get batters out by flamethrowing? throwing? Eh, maybe a couple of them, but not a lot of them. All right. So if we're getting balls in play, then how does our defense end up responding in the face of this? I think at least that approach in in knowing that you've you've kind of solidified your defense with the catchers that you have working with. You got depth of defensive catchers. You certainly lost a lot of offense. Yeah, but. You have defensive minded catchers who will have reportedly, who will supposedly work well with the pitching staff. And now you do have better depth on your infield of guys who you shouldn't see the ball dribbling through there or see errors taking place. Guys who are going to be locked in and focused and, you know, game in, game out now have an opportunity to say that you got a defense that can at least support your pitch, pitching staff in a way that you really haven't had in several seasons.
2: Most certainly. Carter Hawkins actually talked about. Um, those two catchers that should be contributing to this white uh, excuse, excuse me to the Chicago Cubs team uh, specifically uh, Gomes and Barnhart.
4: So Willie, you know, obviously I only had one year of overlap with him, but you know nothing but good things. You know, in terms of our experiences with him or my personal experiences with him, you know, the energy he brought, you know how hard he played. I don't know that I've seen somebody be able to play through injury um, better than him, or you know, just in terms of guys that. The pain tolerance was pretty high. You know, he'd hurt his ankle. You know, he'd just be he banged up and still go into the game. So, you know, I think he, he brought it for us and we really appreciated that and, you know, think really highly of him. But having a guy like Jan, you know, that really understands our pitchers and understands, uh, you know, our game planning process and then being able to put that in with Tucker, you know, kind of in the same place. I think I saw an article this morning about Tucker really embracing that, you know, sports psychologist type role as a catcher and really trying to understand how to make the pitchers be the best possible pitchers they can be. It's almost their sole focus and, and hitting being secondary. I think that's, I know that's something that our, our staff is really excited about. And i um, certainly feel like we got two guys back there that are going to help us with a lot of games.
2: Of course they do. They better without a Wilson Contreras, Cause of hmm. course that's going to be a position that's going to be highlighted this season where teams or excuse me, uh, f- uh, fans and analysts are going to be looking at that spot right there to see and, and paying close attention to Wilson Contreras in St. Louis. Um, another guy, Who has hit the injury list with something? Probably that I just I almost had myself an oblique strain. Yeah, that's (laughs) true. (laughs) You should be on the injury list right now. I should be, but you know what? I'm a fighter.
3: I respect that. (laughs) Playing through it,
2: man. (laughs) Carter Hawkins talked about the newly injured Seiya Suzuki.
4: The reality of it is, is you know, injuries in spring training have an interesting spin to them, where. Everyone wants to get ready for opening day. Opening day is great. You know, the fanfare, just the, the pop and circumstance. It's a lot of really fun things to be a part of. And, you know, sometimes when you put a time frame that's around opening day, it can cause you to make some short-sighted decisions. But really that's just, you know, it's a game, right? I like guess one game that counts just as much as the other 161. And so we really just want to make sure that Saya is ready and ready to play as many games as he possibly can once he comes back. So that was really our, our driving force behind not saying, "Hey, he's going to be ready on April 7th or April 1st or April 15th." You know, I think for us, it's just making sure that when he's ready to go, it's for the rest of the season, and we don't have to worry about this again. So that's our focus. That's his focus, and uh, you know, we fully expect him to have a great year with us.
3: It's a proper thing to say, you know. I don't. I guess it. It makes all the sense in the world right now in March to downplay injury concerns. Right, but. This, this is one of the main players that you you spent to get him here from overseas, and you were hoping for a big leap from year one with your organization to year two. He's bulked up, reshaped his body, and now this concern is there, I, I would imagine, in a deeper way than what he's indicating that, you know what, all right, is this a mistake? Is, mm. is him reshaping his body? Not necessarily the, the, the wisest move, the best move, trying to add power and add pop to his bet. Should he have just stayed in the same, you know, sort of physique that's always worked for him at multiple levels of the sport. But now that you're here and now that he's made this adjustment, you got to be all in with it. you got to support your player in the decision. So there's no point in his general manager starting to question that. But I think for a lot of us, it's kind of – it's there. It's in our brains a little bit of whether or not it really made that much sense. And especially where he's talking about, well, you know, whether the injury's now, the injury's later. You know, there's a lot of games to be played. I I get that. But you don't want to open the season – banged up because now the concern is that that will linger long term and everyone's going to be anxious for him to get back in the lineup and so that question will linger until he's out there especially an oblique injury as a baseball
2: player i mean that literally is everything for you right that that moving uh side to side as you're creating that swing i mean it's tough and and and, you know and we talk about we've talked about this in, in in football but just guys wanting to change their body, right? We talk about Braxton Jones, left tackle for the Chicago Bears. Mm. You know, this offseason, that's something that he's been working on, changing his body. Uh, even Lucas Giolito for the Chicago White Sox put on a ton of weight and then took it all off, you know? Right. It's like guys are struggling with that. And you could see somebody like Suzuki coming over, right, uh, from Japan where he's saying to himself, hey, I, I want to look a little bit better. I want to be able to – where it's like, oh, no, Papa, this is what got you here. <laughs> maybe, maybe you should just, you know, sort of stay in that space. So – um, that, that's going to be something that the, the Cubs are going to be looking at closely. And fortunately for them, they do have guys that they can plug into to right field uh, to play for them. And, and if they're banking on defense, uh, he, he is a great defender, but you know, they're really looking at up the middle. So it'll be interesting to see um, what happens there. This, this part, this clip right here from Carter Hawkins um, with Mullion Hall earlier today was one that I thought was interesting because you know, the world baseball classic is coming up hmm. and you know, it's it's kind of like the ho- It's kind of like uh, the Olympics for hockey, or you know, things like that, where where guys leave or the Winter Olympics, right? Where guys leave in the middle of the season and it just throws a wrench in everything, Damn. right? So, I'm, I'm, it's cool to hear from a GM talk about players leaving camp for the World Baseball Classic and what their thoughts truly are.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's probably like you know a parent watching their kids go off to summer camp. You know, it's like do you worry. It's like, yeah, of course we worry. Like that's what we do. We're worrying all the time. Um, and when they're not right in front of us, you know, I think that's that's always disconcerting. But it's a great uh, a great tournament. You know, obviously a lot of you know energy and, and enthusiasm. You know, from the fan bases and from our players as well. And you know, at the end of the day, you know, just like we support our kids, we support the players to do that as well. And just seeing the pride that these guys have playing for their countries, and then especially for a guy like Matt Mervis to go get you know, real competitive at bats, you know, something that, you know, he's not going to be able to get at that level unless he's in the major leagues. Like that's a really good opportunity for him. So all in all, it's a good thing. But yeah, if you're asking, if we're worried, of course we are. Uh,
2: parent sending their kid off to summer camp is a lot hmm. different than GM seeing, you know, <laughs> their money and their players going uh, up to go get her. A lot uh, different. Okay. A lot <laughs> different. But, I respect the answer. That's probably the best one he could have given. I thought that was great. All right, Gabe Ramirez, Anthony Heron. We go from the Chicago Cubs. So are you leaning sideways to stretch, to Chicago- stretch out that I don't know if you noticed, a little but, bit I, while you're talking. Yeah, I, I don't know if you noticed this, but this is probably how I started in the beginning because I, I feel comfortable when you're here. Okay. You know, when you and I do a show together, I feel like we're right. boys. We can you know, address we, each other here. We don't just we're do this you. on the score. We, we right. talk in real life. So uh-huh. I felt like, you know, this is like that swaggy, like, to the side. I got you. And I think yeah. that might have contributed <laughs> to it <me>. I'm <laughs> <laughs> my oblique arms. <laughs> Just kind of, you know, all right. Uh, we get to talk to Josh Nelson <laughs> on the other hard. side. You know, he so. is the host of Sox Machine Podcast. And we get to find out a little bit about this White Sox team. What are the real expectations for this squad heading into the upcoming season? Is there a level of believability that we as fans should have, or are we gonna get more or less the same what we got last season? We'll ask Josh Nelson on the other side. It's Anthony Heron.
0: advertise with Odyssey, visit ads.odyssey.com.
1: We're back live with more of Anthony Heron and Gabe Ramirez on 670 The Score and Odyssey Station.
2: Hey, we might get a return of the Mac. You never know. It's out there. I won't get Ann started on Khalil Mack. <clears throat> <Dude, you're>... Whoa! <laughs> a little flat. I'm disappointed in you. There you go. You caught it back up. <laughs> there you go. All right, and strong. That's all I That's all I want. It's not Ramirez, Anthony Heron. And right now, lending their vocals to our show, joining, or his vocals to our show, joining <laughs> us on the Circuit Resort and Casino Hotline, Circuit Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. He is the host of the Sox Machine Podcast, part of the Blue Wire Pods Network. And of course, you hear him consistently uh, with Bernsey and Holmes. Right here on six seventy, the score. Of course, I'm talking about none other than Josh Nelson. Josh, thanks for hanging out with us tonight.
1: Absolutely, I was enjoying the little karaoke session (laughs) that we've got going on here.
2: Keep listening to us. Mm -hmm. We we we, we, and I, you know, we've known to we got our little uh, what is it called? What's the thing? The the tuner, the tune. Oh, that auto tune. Tune key? No, no, no. Were you like? Oh, the little kazoo or something. Yeah. yeah. Clearly, something like that. Clearly we're uh music officials. <laughs> 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 yeah. Professionals. <laughs> 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 Josh, man. So, dude, all right. Let's be okay, I'm a huge Sox fan, right? So, let's just let's just start here. Do I should I be as emotionally invested in this team as I was last season?
1: I think you should be emotionally cautious when it comes to the mm. Chicago White Sox as we ramp up for the regular season because there are, there are good storylines to spring training. Before he left for the World Baseball Classic, I thought Aloy Jimenez was doing a really good job at the plate. I know he had no extra base hits, but he only struck out twice. He walked twice, and he was 8 for 16 at the plate. Oscar Colas is feeling himself at the plate, and he's been hitting really well. And I think we may see a little bit more power as he understands and adapts better to some of the pitching that he has seen at spring training. So there are some positives out of camp so far no one's gotten hurt that's a big thumbs up <laughs> right but whatever positive vibes you build up for yourself as a fan you also have to understand that this team starts the year four games in Houston and that could be a quick pop of the enthusiasm balloon in that opening weekend of the se- of the season and i know a lot of people will say well it's just four games out of 162 games a 162 game season It just feels like with this 2023 White Sox team, they want to completely erase what happened in 2022. And in order for them to do that, in order for them to have the positive vibes, they need to have a strong start to the season. When you are visiting the defending world champions, that could be a quick slap upside the head in a sense of reality of where you stand in the American League. So that's why I would urge to be cautiously optimistic, get pumped in what you are seeing from some key individuals. And with the world baseball classic, it would be fun as a White Sox fan to see so many players participating in the tournament, but also know that the Astros are lurking and we'll see how that opening weekend goes.
3: Josh injuries have been such a huge storyline for this squad. The last couple of seasons here, how, how much concern are you sensing from the White Sox themselves with the amount of players they have participating in the WBC?
1: You know, that's a great question, Anthony, because we took a look at that at Sox machine in the past of the White Sox players that have been involved. We could only really identify one player that participated in the world baseball classic that suffered a significant injury later in that season. And that was former reliever, Nate Jones. If you remember Nate Jones out of the White Sox bullpen, but Nate was consistently injured during his tenure with the Chicago White Sox. I'm not too concerned. Like Tim Anderson, he doesn't want to hear this, but he's a bench player for Team USA. He's backing up Trey Turner, who will probably be the starting shortstop for the big games for Team USA. I have no idea how Aloy Jimenez is going to find at bats in that lineup for Dominican Republic. I like Aloy, but unless there's more injuries coming down the pipe for the DR, he's going to struggle to find at bats. Uh, and games for that particular squad because it's just so stacked. And then for Cuba, uh, our friends, Luis Robert Jr. and Makata, they're going to start playing tomorrow night, very late, uh, 9 p.m. Central time for all those in Chicago as Cuba takes on the Netherlands. Those two I'm most concerned about because they're going to be open to the most playing time out of all the White Sox players that are involved. And, Lance Lynn will get some starts, but I don't see him pitching more than three innings in each outing. Kendall Graven will get some appearances out of the bullpen for Team USA. But Makata and Robert Jr., I, I think both of those are going to play a lot. And they've had their nagging injuries, especially in the lower half with hamstrings and groins. So those are the only two guys that I'm holding my breath. But again, it is pretty early um, before opening day. So if they do suffer any type of injury, you hope that the countries and the coaches themselves do what is best for the players and pull those players and go to their bench and have these guys ready for the major league season, because that's more important to them than the world baseball classic.
2: Yeah, that's some great stuff. And it makes a lot of sense. I mean, each and every player you were mentioning, that's going to be playing in the WBC. We're talking to Josh Nelson. Make sure you guys follow him on Twitter at socks underscore. Josh has some great stuff on there. Let's, let's just live in, uh, with the WBC for a second. I love the World Baseball Classic. I mean, the same way I love, you know, the World Cup where guys are actually playing for their country and you get to see their, their level of passion on a different level. What, what are some of your takeaways from the WBC, if, if you are a fan of it, which I'm assuming you are?
1: Yeah, I am. At the, at the early onset, I didn't think that the United States, for example, took it seriously. And then they saw on how Japan and Korea were celebrating of uh, making it to the championship and the Netherlands making it to the semifinals. And then you can sense a, some jealousy. And the 2017 tournament was fantastic. I just remember the game between USA and the Dominican Republic. And that was a phenomenal baseball game. And with just the talent that's involved, I mean, we we talk so much about the teams in North America and in South America and the Caribbean. I mean, Japan is stacked uh, and they're going to have Shohei Otani. And that team is going to be very dangerous in this type of tournament. Like, you can make a very convincing argument like four or five countries may win this tournament. And I think that will help elevate the platform. And obviously, we missed out on, on the previous World Baseball Classic because of COVID. But hopefully, this, this type of tournament sticks around and we continue to see this type of level of enthusiasm. It'll never match the World Cup. But you do have some other countries that are participating, like Great Britain. Who would have thought that the British and the Scots (laughs) played baseball? But here they are. And you got Team Italy. You got Mike Piazza managing Team Italy. Uh, You even have China involved in the World Baseball Classic. So more and more countries are starting to get involved. And I think that's great for the sport of baseball to extend its global reach.
3: Just picturing the the Great Britain team like, you know, hurling the ball, curling start or 17, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like they're not gonna have any yeah. idea, like triple hop it over there towards Isn't the it? bag like they're yeah. playing cricket or whatever. They they're not gonna know. <laughs> they got no idea how to play baseball. Uh, Josh, some of the, the other players who who won't be participating in the WBC obviously have still things to to work on as some of their teammates will be playing, you know, high leverage competitive baseball against folks from all over the globe so who is still in Sox camp that will still have a lot to accomplish
1: yeah good question one and I know he's a very popular topic and it kind of switches from what's been going off the field but on the field we are going to see Mike Clevenger this weekend pitch for the White Sox during spring training and now that we have this shift of focus on the field I cannot even begin i don't know where to begin to say on just how awful mike clevenger was in his last 13 appearances with the san diego padres last year on the field i know we on field (laughs) okay let's clarify clarify. on field yeah in in his last 13 starts with the san diego padres which includes two appearances in the postseason mike clevenger only had 35 strikeouts that is dallas keichel territory And in the postseason, and I I doubt the White Sox front office actually watched Mike Clevenger in the postseason, because if they did, they would have not been so quick to sign him. In two appearances, two and two-thirds innings, eight runs allowed, three strikeouts, three walks. Mike Clevenger faced 20 batters in the postseason, and eight of them scored. In the game of baseball, that is absolutely awful. And he didn't even get an out in the National League Championship Series. He was so bad after four batters that San Diego had to pull him out of the game uh, to try to keep it close. And it really burned the Padres bullpen in that particular game. Mike Clevenger's got a lot to prove on the field. And he's already embarrassed the White Sox with what's been going on off the field and he's not being suspended. So he may feel like he got a win there, but he was awful with the Padres in the last 11 starts and the White Sox think they know how to fix them. And with the pitch clock now, his delivery style is illegal. So we're talking about a 32 year old pitcher coming off a second Tommy John surgery, who was absolutely awful in his last 11 starts and his delivery was illegal. Okay. Where do we go from here? So this is where a lot of attention is going to be on how Mike Clevenger is performing at spring training and how he performs early in the regular season because the magnifying glass is still going to be pointed at the White Sox front office because on the field, if he is not good still, and if he is still struggling to give innings for the White Sox quality innings, the questions that have been asked since November of why in the world did you sign this guy, are going to continue. And Anthony and Gabe, the White Sox just don't have a lot of starting pitching depth. You'll hear about Sean Burke and Davis Martin started some games last year. So really for the rest of spring training, it's just holding your breath, watching the White Sox starting pitchers ramp up and hope that nobody gets hurt. But specifically, we need to see what kind of adjustments Mike Clevenger is making with pitching coach Ethan Katz. Because whatever he was doing in San Diego to end the season, he needs to stop because it's not working, and we should be seeing something new from Clevenger.
2: I don't know the picture you painted, Josh. Sounds like a twelve million dollar picture. <laughs> that sounds, that sounds like that right there. Um, we're talking to Josh Nelson uh, from the Sox Machine podcast, right here on six seventy The Score. Gabriel Ramirez, Anthony Heron. I'm looking at the Sox last year, and like we mentioned, terrible. It was a tough, tough watch, but. You know, what stands out to me is the run differential, right? They were minus 31, sitting at 500, which probably should should not be the case, right? So I'm curious this year, in your opinion, Josh, if, if the socks were to improve on that, is that going to come from more runs being scored or for less runs being allowed?
1: This is a really good question, and obviously the answer is a mixture of the two. But to really narrow it down, One outfield defense needs to approve. And this is something that Pedro Grafal, since he's been hired, has been pointing at that when he was with the Royals, that everybody knew in Major League Baseball, you could run to the White Sox outfielders because one, they had weak arms, two, they never hit the cutoff guys. Uh, So you could be able to take extra bases. So that's one thing to watch defensively for the Chicago White Sox is if they could greatly reduce the amount of extra bases that runners take against them. We're looking at the percentages of runners advancing from third base on, from first base uh, on a single or scoring from second base or scoring from first base on an extra base hit. Those are the specific percentages. You can look those percentages up in baseball reference. On the offensive side, ball in air The Chicago White Sox team needs to hit the ball in the air. And if they hit the ball in the air, they will hit more home runs. So the home run total has to greatly increase for this White Sox team. And I know that's a tall task. Losing Jose Abreu, but you still have Aloy Jimenez, you got Andrew Vaughn. Yes, Monty Grandel looks healthy, and he's been swinging well. Tim Anderson went to the line line drive uh, lab to make some adjustments in his lower half, and he's looking healthy. I think the White Sox have to hit at least 185 home runs in 2023 if we're going to be taking them as a serious playoff contender this upcoming season. I would like to see them to hit more than 200 home runs, but let's see what kind of baseball major league baseball is going to be using <laughs> in 2023, but this team needs to hit more home runs. So if the outfield defense improves and it should with the healthy Luis Robert and an Andrew Benatendi, and I like Oscar Colas defensively, if the outfield defense improves and this team hits more home runs, then that run differential game should be more friendlier for the White Sox and point it into a direction that they'll have a winning season.
3: Yeah, and if if, yeah. if if one of those guys can hit over 20, I think we'll be all right, be nice. unlike last year. it be a welcome change. Uh, if if there were one, like you know, we don't need a full power ranking, because I'm sure you can give me a top five and list them in order, but who would top your power rankings of any one White Sox player going into the season that you say – I'm most concerned uh-huh. about, you know, there was this young core in place that they seem to do an effective job of putting together a few seasons ago. Uh-huh. And now that we're kind of into this thing with Giolito and Kopech, some question marks there. Moncada, Jimenez, and, you know, some of the other guys who you're thinking, all right, there, there was young, promising talent that hasn't been realized yet. Who would top your power rankings of concern?
1: It's you and Makata because the bat speed was not there last year. And. If it doesn't return, then you have a you have a really good defensive third baseman who can't hit. But they're getting paid seventeen million dollars and that's more than what Jose Ramirez is making with Cleveland. And then he's gonna make twenty four million dollars next year. Like that starts to become problematic when it comes to your roster budget and expectations with Yohan Makata. He's starting to get paid well. For a third baseman in Major League Baseball. So he needs to start producing the numbers. And I'm hoping, Anthony, that in the World Baseball Classic, that Yohan Makata just gets into a groove, facing pitchers that are not Major League quality, batting practice, builds up some confidence, especially against velocity, especially against fastballs. He finds his groove with the bat speed. And he regained some of the barrel speed he had in 2019 and 2020. Because if he could do that, I think Johan Makata could be a 20 plus home run type of hitter, and he could be a five plus war type of player for the White Sox, which is a huge boost. He'd be one of the best players the White Sox have. But if he doesn't hit against velocity, if the bat speed doesn't return, and he hits as poorly as he did last year, then the White Sox are pretty much burning cash at third base with Yoan Makata, and he's not even coming anywhere close to living up to expectations when they acquired him from the Chris Dale trade. So out of all the core players, he's the one that I'm most concerned about, especially what we've seen the last couple of years.
2: Hopefully he has his yellow shoes. That's all I really want to know Or yellow. <laughs> all right, Josh, I appreciate you hanging out with us, man. Great stuff today. Can't wait to have you back on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You guys have a good night. Of course,
2: Josh Nelson. Make sure you follow him on Twitter, at machine underscore Josh. Check out his podcast as well. And then, uh, of course, listen out for him with Bernstein and Holmes. All right, so on the other side, we got, you know, and I always say this is an interactive show, right? Mm-hmm. Don't shy away from the phone calls. Love the text messages that come in. And somebody actually had a really good question that I think you'd be really good at answering, and okay. I'm interested I like in your that. perspective on right. it. So, um. The text line isn't only full of people talking crap and you know bad opinions. That sometimes they have some good questions as well. All right. So what? Uh, what does Ant Heron think about this upcoming draft and the the possibility of Bears trading back to get what this texter has called "gray guys"? Mm. What is that? What the hell does that mean? And what's Anthony's answer? We'll find out on the other side. Gabriel is Anthony Heron right here on Chicago Sports Radio six seventy The Score.
1: We're back live with more of Anthony Heron and Gabe Ramirez on 670 the score in Odyssey Station.
2: Got about ten minutes left before we get up out
3: of here. Gabe Ramirez, Anthony Heron. I'll get in the pool. I'm just at risk when I'm there. I just gotta be conscious of it's how deep the waters are.
2: You know. So, you, so, are you the guy that bounces on your tippy toes as you get to
3: like the six feet area? Much yeah. And, then and I move below? under the water right. really well. You are de- dense. I am very good at sinking. <laughs> it's just yeah. the actually once my head comes out of the water, maintaining any kind of floating is is a big problem. Always, I could
2: been. see that. Yeah, my 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 daughter. We went to like a, what is this? What is this place called? Uh, it's this is a hotel, but it's that's like a suite. Okay. comfort and suite. No, Not comfort and Suites. Anyway, it's some place that like. Has a really dope pool that you right. go to, and they have like you know, it's like you're renting a condo well, for the weekend, that. essentially. That's bootleg. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you all oh, take your sorry, dog unless, to the <laughs> finest of hotel unless pools unless you uh, <laughs> are sponsored. Oh yeah, exactly not, right. That. Um, <laughs> so I, I I got her in there the other day, and mm. we bought we was like two weeks ago, okay. and we got her you know the floaties. Yeah. But, right. but as I mentioned, she had taken classes at, at the swim school, mm. and she has the floaties, and we're thinking like, man, how is she gonna be? This little fish, she was just she was cool all around the thing, you okay. know? And then I, told yeah. my, I was telling my boy the story. I'm like, yeah, man, I threw a girl in the girl in the pool. She loved it. For, He's like, Gabe, you gotta be careful. And I was like, well, he goes, my son, I had him in there, same thing, took classes, had him with floaties, thought he was cool. Mm-hmm. We took the floaties off. He's like, and I'm tending to my other kid. And next thing you know, I see like a little commotion going on, and, and a grown man jumps in the pool to save my son because he had this false confidence. That he could swim with the floaties on, so he decided to jump back in the pool and sunk all the way down to the bottom. So be mindful of
3: that. See, you, I'm, you I'm you the guy kids. with only one kid, so you know I, I'm not going right. to talk crazy about your boy. But I don't know; <laughs> seems like that might have been ill advised. Just to oh, I hey, took the floaty off, so just go do your thing. We like to you drink, know? so you know I'm sure he
2: was on the <laughs> a little bit. All right, I mentioned that uh, a really good question came in from the text line, and I really am interested in your opinion on this because. He makes a really, really good point. This from the five seven four area. I don't even know where that is, um, but he said, "Guys, why is it better to accumulate draft capital to get a lot of mediocre gray guys when just a s- sprinkling in a few blue players makes all the difference?" Now he continues and goes over there, mm. uh, Brian Mishawaka. But that's a great point because that's something that's crossed my mind over the last couple of weeks, where in my thoughts of the Bears trading from the number one to the number two prior to the draft, just to get a second and third rounder, right? Something to add to the air quote haul that we're all expecting the Bears to get. And then it crossed my mind a couple of weeks ago where I'm like, but damn, a second and third rounder, I'm asking for that. But like, they might not be starters. They might not be <laughs> guys that make the team. Yeah. And so I'm over here. Am I, you know, I'm over here. Oh, no, the question, am I overvaluing That type of draft capital, as Brian has so eloquently pointed out, gray guys um, that can't be gray guys. When maybe I should be more focused on accumulating top end
3: draft picks, like more first rounders. I mean, it's all of it is an educated guess anyway. But you certainly, when you have the opportunity to draft players earlier, especially players who you who you view as like blue chip level prospects, who might be able to come in and dominate. Off the bat, because it's one thing if you got a top five or a top ten pick, you, you want someone who will be able to come in and play at a high level immediately. Now, quarterback is obviously a little bit of a different a different conversation because the development at that position can take longer than others because so much is on the plate of the QB. But in theory, if you're drafting in the top ten, frankly, the entire first round, you want someone who can be an immediate starter. But with the top ten pick, that's somebody who right away you're thinking this should be a day one starter who can compete at a high level in the NFL from jump. Will hopefully continue to develop and round into form and become even better. But somebody who can make plays from day one. Now, once you get beyond that, then, you know, the, the discussion adjusts, of course. But, you know, you can have players. Like we were talking about, of course, the Bears' multiple second-round defensive backs that are there where Jaquan Brisker started the full season. Kyler Gordon started the majority of the season and started playing at a, at a higher level later in the year. So, I mean, once you even get beyond guys who you view as, you know, what Ryan Poll's terms is blue players on their board are guys that are that, that blue, like not just a first rounder, but like high level blue chip yeah. type first rounder that can come in and maybe dominate from jump. You know, you get beyond the blue, then whatever his other color codes are, you, you want to accumulate the potential for talent because you can have guys who are mid rounds or late rounds. Like, you know, a lot of folks are talking about, Hey, you know, are the bears going to go left tackle in free agency? I would personally be surprised because my impression is, even though Braxton Jones is a fifth rounder, that Ryan Poles and his staff think very highly of Braxton Jones and his potential for development. A guy who played, you know, as as well as you would hope for a, a rookie left tackle in the position he's in to be able to play. He didn't play, he didn't, he didn't play like a top 10 pick, but as far as other rookie tackles in the league, he played as well as any other rookie tackle point. in football last year. I don't necessarily think the Bears are going to go left tackle in free agency. I don't think they're going to prioritize it at least. And he was a fifth rounder. So to be able to accumulate the potential for more guys like that, more guys who you feel like can turn into a high level starter for you. There's no guarantees that Braxton Jones will become that, but internally the bears feel like he has that type of potential that he can become a high level starter as a left tackle, a consistent performer as a left tackle for them. So, Is it great to say, yeah, at number one, let's just take this guy who we feel is surefire? You can certainly make that case. And if there was someone who the Bears felt strongly enough about, who Ryan Pohl said, that's a franchise changer for us, there's no reason to trade out of the top pick. But because, as we've been talking about, their roster needs so much to be able to trade out of the number one spot and just get multiple bites at that apple of this educated guess for players who you think you can bring into your regime and turn them into something, your roster needs high-level talent everywhere. It's devoid of talent at so many different spots. So you just want as many bites as that apple as you can. get. You
2: literally can just take any the best player available, you know, for like the first couple of rounds, right. and you'll be helping out the Chicago Bears. Uh, Brian continued on to say uh, the Bears didn't have, and this is the, I'm referring back to our second round picks that we were just discussing. Okay. He said the Bears didn't have a single blue player last year. Uh, we never even saw one blue play on our team, blah, 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 blah. <clears throat> but I, I I would disagree, right? I do think like a Jaquan Brisker and a Kyler Gordon can be those guys, um, but but you said something that that caught my attention uh, just a second ago when you said you know it's all it's all an educated guess at a certain point, point. Mm-hmm. and you did mention that you know top ten should be franchise altering, so to speak, mm-hmm. but but what where in the draft do you think it it does become a gamble? More so than an educated guess, like mm. where in the draft is it? Round three? Is it twenty,
3: thirty? Something like where? 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 Where is that space? It it differs by position, you mm. know. Like right now, Bijan okay. Robinson is one of these players, a running back coming out of Texas. Oh, get me excited, folks are very excited about Bijan Robinson with good reason—an uber talented prospect who, you know, running back is a position that. You know, it's, it's almost hard to, to project running backs into the first round because the position isn't valued at nearly as high level as it once was in the league going back a few decades ago. Like a Saquon Barkley right now. He's a guy who could potentially hit free agency or the Giants could franchise him or maybe they come to terms on something. But Saquon Barkley is one of the most physically gifted players in the National Football League. He just happens to play running back. And he's been hurt a lot throughout his career. But even if he hadn't been hurt a lot throughout his career, he still plays running back. And so just as a position, you can drop down to the draft a little bit further and feel like we can get someone who we can plug and play and maybe get high-level production out of there that's different than other spots where you say, there's going to be a huge drop-off if we don't get like the left tackle of the future early or if we get the quarterback of the future early. Then you kind of need that that Brock Purdy kind of perfect position where Mr. Relevant can come in and help you win games Partly because, credit to him, he's able to come in, learn the playbook, perform at a high level, but also he's got one of the best play callers in football and one of the deepest rosters in football, and they only ask so much of him. So there's certain spots where you can get by saying that that educated guess, even though there might be a chasm between the evaluation of the prospect, at the first prospect versus the 15th prospect at that position that comes off the board, but there's certain positions where that drop-off just means more. And for a spot like running back, you know, Hey, yeah, if you don't have somebody who runs the fastest forty, you see a lot of guys who can still come in and be really productive in the NFL.
2: It makes a lot of sense. Depends on the position, uh, but hopefully we do get some good gray guys. Yeah, you know, I like yeah. that. I like that color because it's not you know we're not doing that thing. So An <laughs> ambiguous works. color. Yeah. All right, All right. So, uh, we are about to get up out of here. Have to thank our guests for today, Chris Emma hanging out with us talking Bears, Darnell Mayberry filling us in on the Bulls, and of course Josh Nelson we just talked to. Giving us all the happenings with the Chicago White Sox. Gotta thank our producer, Tyler Buterball. Phenomenal job today. Uh working on the fly. That's thank it? You, sir. That's all my music? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he did it. He did it just so you could say hi. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> so you could do that? Yeah, I drop that beat real quick. All right. Uh we, the three of us, will be back together next Monday. and the Aaron, myself, we'll Tyler Butterball. Uh, So make sure you guys look out for that. And always a pleasure. You know, I love hanging out with you, brother. No doubt. So, uh, guys, uh, we will see you. Mi gente, my people. Hasta la próxima. Until next time, I'm Gabriel Ramirez. He's Anthony Heron. This is Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score.
4: Where do you go from here, Aaron?
0: Home. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio.